the process of studying the six days of creation. And last week we covered the first three days. Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, let me kind of bring you up to speed by quickly going over what we covered last week. On the first day, God said, let there be light. And there was. Theologians refer to that as creation by fiat. Fiat is a Latin word that means to command or to order. So God ordered the light to appear, and it did. And then God separated the light from darkness. He called the light day, and he called the darkness night. Which tells us that the earth began to rotate on its axis on the very first day. On the second day, God created an atmosphere that was able to, to sustain life. Now, most people get confused when they read this part because the way that it's worded, we don't talk like that. And so we kind of get jumbled up as we're reading this passage of Scripture. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it very simple for you tonight. First of all, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this passage of Scripture. But as I'm reading it, I'm going to substitute the word space for the word firmament because that's actually a better translation. You see, the word firmament is actually translated from the Hebrew word rakia, and it's what we think of as space. That's why I'm going to substitute the word space for firmament. And then as I'm reading this passage, I'm actually going to stop at the end of each verse, and I'm going to illustrate what we just read on this whiteboard. So look at verses 6, 7, and 8, and remember that we're substituting the word space for the word firmament. And God said, let there be a space... In the midst. Now, most of us don't use the word midst. What does that mean? Middle. And God said, let there be a space in the middle of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you were here last week, and if you weren't, I'm going to catch you up. The, wor- the earth in the, in the beginning was completely surrounded by water. There were no mountain tops that were peaking up. It was, it was all water. There was no dry land anywhere. It's kind of like that movie Water World with Kevin Costner in it. Well, just kind of imagine, except there is no dry land anywhere. Now, I had a teenager come up to me last week, and they said, well, if it was water like that, how did it stay around the earth? And I said, well, it's the same way the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean stays around the earth. There's gravity there. So you have the earth, and this represents the earth, and all of this blue out here is the water. It was completely covered with water. And then God said, let there be space. And this space was in the middle of the waters. So what happened is there was a space that was created in the middle of the waters. Now I'm going to take out a little bit more. Let's do that so you can see. Does that make sense? And it divided the waters from the waters. Can everyone see that? Verse 7. And God made the space and divided the waters which were under the space. See that? From the waters which were above the space. And it was so. And God called the space. This part in here, heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, most scholars believe that the water that was above the space actually turned into a vapor. So literally you had a canopy of, uh, a canopy of water vapor around it. And this canopy actually protected the earth. And it made it very conducive to life. 
In fact, that's why so many of the patriarchs before Noah's flood lived for so long. They lived 700, 800, 900 years because you had this vapor around the earth. But I still want you to understand, at this point, on day two, the earth is still completely covered with water. Does that make sense? So on the third day, what did God do? God created dry land upon the earth. As I said, the earth in the very beginning was covered with water. There was no dry land. So what God did was he caused the mountains to rise and the valleys to sink and the waters drained to the lower parts of the earth. Look at Psalms chapter 104 verses 5 through 9. It says, you place the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. You clothe the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. No dry land as of yet. At your command on the third day, I added that part, the water fled at the sound of your thunder. It hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the sea so they would never again cover the earth. And once there was dry land, God commanded the earth to bring forth plants, and it was so. Now, that's the first three days, so we're ready to study the fourth day. Very quickly we covered it, but does everyone understand what happened during the first three days of creation? Good. So turn to verses 14 through 19, and let's find out what happened on the fourth day. Because this causes a lot of confusion for people, especially if they're well acquainted with the Bible and they're reading through the book of Psalms and even a few Proverbs, and they see some scriptures pertaining to stars, and they go, how can that be? Because the Bible says on the fourth day, the sun, the moon, and the stars were created. Is there a discrepancy here? Well, we're going to get to that. Let's read verses 14 through 19. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now, at first glance, it looks as if God created the sun, the moon, and the stars on the fourth day. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll discover that that's not true. In fact, Job chapter 38 verses 4 through 7 says that the stars already existed when God laid the foundation of the earth. Go ahead and turn there if you don't mind because I want to read it. I want to show you that. It says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Now, who is God talking to? Job. Because Job's a little upset. All of these evil things have taken place, and he's kind of pouring his heart out, out to God, and he thinks it's very unfair what happened to him. And so finally, God begins to speak to him, and he says this to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Now there's a problem here, and I hope you saw it. They divided this into verses where they shouldn't have done it. Verse number 7 starts in the middle of a thought. 
It should have never started there. So what I want to do is I want to go back and read verses 6 and 7 again. And I want you to realize it should not stop there. You see, the problem with us is we read through the Bible is we have the tendency to read, stop. Read, stop. Read, stop. And where do we stop? Every time the verse ends. And we shouldn't do that. Because this is a complete thought. Notice what 6 and 7 says. On what were its footing set, or who laid its cornerstones, while the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy? Did you catch that? While God was laying the earth's foundation, the stars were singing, and the angels were shouting for joy, which means that the stars were already in existence. I know what some of you are thinking. Yes, Brother Allen, but is this referring to physical stars, or is this just a figure of speech? This is not a figure of speech. This is referring to physical stars, and let me prove that to you. Underline the word stars in verse number 7. Stars is translated from the Hebrew word kakab, and it refers to the stars in the sky. So this tells us that the stars existed, and they were singing when God laid the foundation of the earth. Now, how many of you know that stars actually sing? Thank you, Bill. You're the only one that knows that. That's right. Stars actually sing. According to Donald Quartz, an astronomer in the United Kingdom, stars produce notes through their vibrations just like musical instruments. They can produce whistling, drumming, humming, or rumbling sounds depending upon their frequency, or in other words, the speed of their vibration. At a conference at the University of Sheffield in Britain, Kurtz actually demonstrated how Bach would sound if it was played by the stars. What he did was he combined the pitches from different stars into a computer-projected melody. So if you took different stars in space and you said, okay, I'm going to take this one and this one and this one, and you begin to combine them at certain times, literally you could play almost any classical piece of music that you wanted. In fact, let me play a few sounds from actual stars. Now we're going to get is the sound. So there's not going to be anything until we get to the end where I'm actually going to come in and put a piece of music together for you. That makes sense? So this is the star HR 3831. Ever gone to a concert and someone's lining that up before the orchestra plays? This is from the star Zyhydra. Get that? There's that drumming sound. This is from a star called the White Dwarf. Now, here's a real quick piece of music by taking different sounds from the stars and putting them together. Let's do that. But anyways, that's good. My point is this. According to the book of Job, before people ever knew that stars could sing, stars already existed and were singing while God laid the foundation of the earth. And for that to have happened, the stars would have had to have been created on the first day. 
Remember when we were studying the first day and it, said God, and it says, God said, let there be light. And I told you that you're going to have to trust me because when we get to the fourth day, I'm going to prove to you that God did not create the sun and the moon and the stars on the fourth day. He did it on the first day. Now let's think about this. If all of the stars were created on the first day, and the book of Job chapter 38 tells us that. It says the stars were, the stars were singing as God laid the foundation. Now literally what that means, if you look that up and you, and you study what the word singing means, it doesn't mean like we think, hallelujah. What it means is they were producing sound. They were literally producing sound as God laid the foundation or the cornerstone of the earth. Now, the sun is also a star. So it would have been created when all of the other stars were being created. So is there a discrepancy in the Bible then? Because on the fourth day it says that God made the sun, the moon, and the stars. But yet when we look at other places in the Bible it says, uh-uh. It says the stars were already existent and they were singing as God was actually laying the foundation. Not just the earth and doing all these things. As God was laying the foundation of the earth. The very beginning. So it means that it would have been on the first day. So have we found a discrepancy in the Bible? Not at all. God did not create the sun, the moon, and the stars on the fourth day. And this passage of scripture doesn't say that he did. So what is it saying? Well, let's tear these verses apart, and let me show you. Turn back to verse number 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Now, underline the word lights. Now, what's interesting is that the word lights in this verse is slightly different than the word God used on the first day when he said, let there be light. The word light in verse number 3. When God said, let there be light, and there was, and it was so. The word light in verse number 3 is the Hebrew word or. The word used in verse number 14 is ma'or. The only difference between the two words is that a prefix has been added to the root word or, and it's the prefix ma. Now that's very important because this is a locative prefix, which indicates that God is placing these lights in specific locations in space. He is not creating them. He is placing them on the fourth day. That's what the locative case means. It designates location or place. And if you want to get technical, it designates the place of the action denoted by the verb. You see, if you ever study Greek, you'll find out that there's eight cases in Greek. There's the nominative case, the genitive case, the ablative case, the locative case, the instrumental case, the dative case, and the accusative case. And, of course, there's also the vocative, but we won't get into that. But anyways, there's different cases, and they mean different things in grammar. But the locative place means it designates location or place. So on the fourth day, God did not make the sun, the moon, and the stars. No. They already existed. What God did was he set the sun, the moon, and the stars in their fixed location. That's why the word ma'or is used instead of the Hebrew word or. So a more accurate translation would be like this. And God said, let the lights be specifically placed in the firmament of the heaven. 
In other words, let the lights be placed in the firmament to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. In fact, the whole purpose of verses 17 and 18 is to clarify what happened on the fourth day. Look at verses 17 and 18. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from darkness. Now I want you to underline that word set. That word is translated from the Hebrew word nothing and it means to place in a specific position or location. So what this is saying is that God placed each heavenly body in a specific location. He specifically set the sun in its location to light the earth during the day. He specifically set the moon in its location to rule the night. And he specifically set each star in its designated spot. Now here's what's interesting and I'm not going to go very deep in this. You'll have to talk to some of our science people that go to our church. But one of the problems with the Big Bang Theory is that as this goes out, the the stars that are out there, as they're spread out, should have created light all through the universe. But it doesn't. It's light on certain places and dark. So what we're seeing on the fourth day is God is coming in here and now he's going to take every one of these celestial bodies, every one of these, these heavenly bodies, and he's going to place them in their designated spot in the solar system. And so he specifically set each star in its designated spot. And for thousands of years, sailors have been able to navigate the seas because of the stars. They learned the various constellations and they used them to chart their course. Now, what's interesting is that God does not assign names to the sun and the moon. And you know, as we're following through creation, we find out that God is naming everything until man is created and man gets to do what? Man gets to name all of the animals. Can you imagine the brain that Adam had to be able to look at each animal, name them one time and remember the name of them? All of the animals that there are. But God was able to create Adam to do that. But what's kind of interesting as we look at this is that before that took place, God called the light what? Day. He called the darkness what? Night. And so we find that God is naming all of these things. But when he comes to the sun and the moon where you would expect him to say, and he called the greater light the sun. And he called the lesser light the moon. He does not do that. Why? All he does is he refers to them as the greater light and the lesser light. Look at verse 16. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Now, if you study ancient religions, you'll find out that almost all of the nations around the Mediterranean and in the Middle East worship the sun the moon, and the stars in the ancient times. And the names of the sun, moon, and stars became the names of their deities. So by not naming them and only referring to them as the greater light and the lesser light, God was emphasizing that these are not deities. They are inanimate objects created by the one true God, and they are not to be worshipped ever or in any way. In fact, nothing in nature is to be worshipped. I have to be honest with you. I have to watch myself. 
because I am very anti-green. But the reason I'm anti-green is because I see the way the world is going and how they're elevating nature up to a point. And, and, and I want you to understand, tree huggers irritate me. I mean, we'll stop something that's great for, for the human race because we found this little bitty spider and this is their little place here and we got to stop this $16 billion project, put all of these people out of work because this is where these spiders live. People, I want to tell you, that irritates me. Yes, I believe that we're supposed to take care of our earth. I don't want to pollute our world. I believe that we should make sure that we're not doing things that hurts creatures. In fact, the Bible talks about an evil person actually comes in and, and, and he tortures animals or, or he mistreats animals. And God doesn't want us to do that because we have been given the right to rule. We have been given the right to subdue and have dominion over everything upon the earth. And with that comes a great responsibility. But the problem is we have to realize that this planet is here to serve us. We are not here to serve the planet. We need to understand that the whole reason that God created this earth is in order for it to be inhabited. And that's what the book of Isaiah says. And who is the person who's supposed to inhabit it? Man. This earth was created for us and not us for the earth. And I've just got news for you. Even though I believe we're supposed to take care of it, I think, I don't think, I, I'll, be, I'll be tremendously surprised if I die before Jesus returns. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is returning in my lifetime. And when you study the book of Revelation and you look at the seven-year tribulation period and you go through each one of the seals and you go through the different trumpet judgments, I'm not even talking about the bowls, the wrath of God that's going to be poured out. Let me tell you, this earth is going to go through things you have never seen before. When the third of the oceans are turned to blood, and the sea creatures die. When the fresh water is contaminated and you're forced to either die by that or drink the blood and eventually be contaminated by it. We have no idea what's going to happen to the earth even though God has given us because we can't even fathom it. But I'm here to tell you. We were not created for this earth. This earth was created for us. And something is wrong when we reverse that. And we're beginning to see that in our society today. People will take human life in order to save the planet. I got news for you. This planet is not going to be saved. After the millennium, what happens to this, this earth? Were you here during Revelation? It's destroyed. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. We need to understand that. Now, I want you to notice one other thing in verse number 16. I want you to notice that the word made is used in verse 16 instead of the word create. Underline the word made. It says, and God made two great lights. Now, when you read that, someone's going to come up to me and say, well, pastor, it says right there. God made the lights. And it's talking about the fourth day. Well, underline that word made. Made is translated from the Hebrew word also, and it means to create something out of pre-existing material. 
In other words, to take existing things and put them together in a way that forms something. And that's exactly what God did on the fourth day. He made our solar system by placing these pre-existing heavenly bodies in their position. He created our universe by taking these pre-existing celestial bodies and putting them in their specific location. In other words, God did not create the sun on the fourth day. He simply made the earth's greater light by placing it in its present position. Do you realize that there are some stars that are 100 times larger than our star, than the sun? Our sun is only considered to be an average size star. There are certain stars that are 100 times larger. So how did he make that the greater light? He made it the greater light by placing it in the specific position that it's in. He made the moon the earth's lesser light by placing it in its present position. So when he says he made the two great lights, it doesn't mean that he created them at that time. It means that he made them the great lights by the way he placed them. And he made the different constellations in the sky by placing the stars in their present position. Now, did anyone notice that the stars also rule the night? Did anyone else see that? Let's read verse 16 again. And I'm going to take out the italicized words. What do the italicized words in the King James Version mean? It means it's not in the original language. It means it's not in the original Hebrew if it's the Old Testament. It's not in the original Greek. It's in the New Testament. Why do they italicize it? Because they added it because they thought it made it clearer. So they wanted you to know it's not in the original language. The reason we've italicized this is because we think it makes this more understandable. But sometimes it's better to take that out. So let's read verse number 16. We'll get to the italicized words and let's just kind of pull them out. And God made two great lights. How did he make those great lights? He took a star and then a celestial body and he put the star at the right position. And that star, even though it's not the largest star, and some of it, it's a hundred times smaller, it's in the right position to become the great light. And the moon, of course, is not this big, huge celestial body, but it's positioned just right. So God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made, now notice that's italicized. The stars also. Take that out. God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. The stars also. That's all it says in the original. The stars also. But it implies two things. It implies that God took these stars and he also placed them in the solar system. But the second thing, and it's really more important than the other. The stars also rule the night. How many of you have ever woken up in the morning, the sun's just starting to come up, and you can still see a few stars on the other side of the horizon? But as the great light comes up, they're gone. They do not rule the day. But at night, especially when there's no clouds, you walk out and you see all these stars, and these stars rule the night, just like the moon does. And thank God they do because we've navigated for years the course based upon these different constellations. Now, let's look at day five. Turn to verses 20 through 23. 
And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. And every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now, on the fifth day, God began to fill his creation. And he produced two major classes of animals on this day. The sea creatures and the birds. Now, what's interesting is that verse number 21 says that God created these animals. He did not make them. Now, people, there are two different words. Create and make. And they mean two different things. Also means to create out of pre-existing material. To take things that are already made, put them together to form something or to make something. My wife does not create cakes. She makes cakes. She takes pre-existing flour, pre-existing eggs, milk, baking powder, sugar, and takes these pre-existing materials and she makes a cake. She doesn't create anything because if she came and said, I'm going to create a cake, I would say, what are you doing with flour? You need to create your own flour. You need to create your own sugar. When God creates, he uses this word called bara. And what's interesting is, in verse number 21, it says that God created the animals. Underline that word created in verse 21. It's translated from this Hebrew word, bara. It means to create out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo. Creating out of nothing. Now, this is really interesting. Because it's totally different than what happened with the plants. Remember, I kind of pulled that out. If you remember, the grass, the herbs, and the trees were brought forth from the earth. And the implication is that the earth generated the plants at God's command, that somehow God empowered the earth to be able to bring this forth in his words. In other words, the plants were the result of a complex organization of the basic physical elements. But what God's creating on the fifth day cannot be generated by the earth. Why? Because they're creatures. God created the creatures. Underline the word creatures. The word creatures in verse 21. And God created great whales and every living creature. Creature is translated from the Hebrew word nephesh, which refers to something that has consciousness. Now, the interesting thing about it, this is the same Hebrew word for soul, which refers to a man's intellect, will, and emotions. And if it's used in reference to animals, it refers to an animal's instincts. How many have ever had a dog that was pretty smart? My, my dad has two mutts. I mean, they're, they're what we call biscuit dogs. Does everyone know what a biscuit is? A biscuit dog is a dog that whenever it sees you eating something, it's just like, <laughs> and all it wants is for you to feed the scraps, you know, and that's what monkey is. And monkey's just this mutt. 
I don't know what else to say. But Monkey is the smartest dog you'll ever see. He's never been trained. But in the wintertime, Dad lets him stay in the garage. But he has to run all the way through the house. And if you've ever seen my dad's house, it's like a maze. And so Dad will come in, open the door, and he'll say, Monkey, go to the garage. He will not deviate, won't go to any other room. He goes right through the house, straight to the garage. You can talk to, to, to Monkey, and it's almost like he understands you. He does what you tell him to do. Now, it's kind of interesting. He's a creature. He has nephesh. Now, he doesn't have the soul in the same capacity that a man does. The intellect, the will, and the emotions. But, you know, they get all excited about certain things. That brain is working. But when it refers to animals, it's specifically referring to the instincts. Now, here's what's interesting. Plants don't possess what the Hebrews referred to as nephesh. Only animals and man do. And nephesh has to be created by God and God alone. That's why it says that God created every living nephesh, every living creature. Wow. Now, this also applies to all of the animals that were created on the sixth day. And the reason it applies there is because he's letting us know, and it's all-inclusive as you read it in the Hebrew grammar. He created all living creatures. Because it's one thing to put all these things together and say, oh, yeah, no, here's life. But it's another to come in and to make this thing where it can think. It is kind of amazing when you look at, at what's happened. And, and, and I think the more we understand medicine today, the more we realize how great God is. Sometimes we take for granted the way our bodies work, but let one thing not work right. And I'm telling you, it causes major problems in our body. Our body is, is what scientists would refer to as irreducible complexity. Does it, has anyone ever heard the term irreducible complexity? Irreducible complexity means that you take something that has many parts and you reduce it down to the minimal amount of parts that will still keep it working. A bicycle is a good example. For a bicycle to work, you have to have tires. Well, you can get by with just one tire, a unicycle. It also is going to take a seat. No, 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 not going to take a seat. You can stand on it. Is it going to take a chain? Yeah, it's going to take a chain. And it's going to have to have a body. So you reduce it down to the simplest parts that it takes to make whatever that is to function. When you look at the human body and you look at irreducible complexity, let me tell you something, people. We didn't evolve. You can take the, the simplest living organism and see how complex it is. And let me tell you something. Evolution could have never created those type of things. It can't break those barriers. Just the way it is. So on the fifth day, God created the birds and the sea animals, and he gave them the ability to re reproduce after their kind. On the sixth day, God created all of the land animals and man. Turn to verses 24 through 31. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after the kind, and everything that creeped on the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us. Now, we're not going to get into that, but can you see there's plurality here? Even though there's one God, there's plurality. Let us 
Make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Honey, you do have dominion over spiders. So God created man in his own image. I don't have to kill them. You can't. No, I'm just teasing. So God created man in his own image. and the image of God created he him. Now, did you notice how that is? That's a figure of speech. He is emphasizing. Whenever he repeats it, but he turns it backwards. He's doing that for emphasis. The thing that God wants you to know is you are different than every other creature on this planet. You and you alone were made in the image of God. And God blessed them, and, he, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the, in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. In other words, food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth on the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat or for food, and it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now notice you still see, you're seeing that pattern all the way through. Evening, morning. That's why the Jews, the day is at the sunset, to the next sunset. Now, three categories of animals are listed in this section. Cattle, creeping things, and beast. Cattle is translated from the Hebrew word behema, and it refers to large, four-footed domestic animals. That's why it's usually translated as livestock. It can refer to cows, to sheep, to horses. Now, that's what we think of. But if you live somewhere else, it could be llamas or whatever. In fact, any four-footed, domesticated animal falls under this category. So we would even say dogs. The term creeping things is translated from the Hebrew word remiss. And it refers to small animals. Any type of animal that walks, crawls, or creeps close to the ground. Now here's what's bad, including insects. So when I say animals, I should say animals and insects. But if it walks, crawls, creeps close to the ground, whether it's an insect, reptile, or mammal, it's creeping things. It's remiss. The word beast is translated from the Hebrew word kai, and it refers to the large, wild Animals. We're talking lions and tigers and elephants, ilk and deer and bears, etc. All of those type of things. And then finally, after every other creature was created, God finally creates the pinnacle of his creation. He creates man. Turn to verse 26. Let's read it again. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Now, people, man is the only creature that's made in the image of God. Now, there's been a lot of debate as to what that means. You've got people coming on saying it means this, it means that, and we're not going to go in depth. I've done this before, especially when we taught on Calvinism. It's not talking about our physical bodies. 
It's not saying that, you know, God has two hands, so we have two hands. God has two arms, so we have two arms. God has eyes, so we have eyes. No, I'll be honest with you. When it talks about God's hands or God's arms, we need to understand that God is spirit. That's anthropomorphic language. What that means is we're attributing physical characteristics to him to express something that God is or God does. But here's what's interesting. When God created our body, he created our body in such a way that we could do what God can do without a body. Did you catch what I said? God created our body in such a way that we can do what God can do without a body. God sees. We can't see without eyes, so God gave us eyes. God touches and feels, and we can't touch and feel without hands, so he gave us hands. God can travel to and fro. So God gave us two legs. He created a body because we're made in his image. And it doesn't mean that God looks like we look. But what it means is God gave us a body to be able to emulate him. But more importantly, it means something totally different. It means that man has a conscience, a free will, and the ability to reason. What separates man from the animals. And the reason God holds us accountable and doesn't hold animals accountable is because we have a conscience. Conscience. We have a free will and we have the ability to reason. If you see a big bear come out and he kills a cow and he rips it apart, God's not going to hold him accountable one day. And in the great white throne judgment, that bear's going to stand before him and going to say, you shouldn't have done that. No. When you see a female dog in heat and a male dog comes along and you get so mad because he violated your fluffy, let me tell you, he's acting on instinct. That dog's not made in the image of God. He doesn't come and go, this is right, this is wrong, oh, I shouldn't do this. It doesn't do that. It just reacts according to instinct. But man was made in the image of God. Man is a personal, rational, sovereign being. And that's why God holds us accountable is because we were made in his image. That's why it doesn't matter how bad your childhood is, God will still hold you accountable. Why? Because you were made in his image and you have the ability to take a look at your life and say, I don't want to live this way. This is why it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. You need to learn to deal with that through the power of the Holy Spirit because one day God's going to hold you accountable. Why? Because you're made in the image of God. You are different than animals. You do not react according to instinct. It's not all predeterminism or environment or any of these other things that say you must act this way. No, you're made in the image of God. And that's what sets man apart from all other creatures. I want you to notice what the book of Psalms, chapter 8, verses 4 and 5 says. What are people that you should think about them? Mere mortals that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God. And crowned them with glory and honor. We are made a little lower than God himself. Man is truly the crown of God's creation. And when God created man, he gave him dominion over all of the animals and told him to subdue the earth. Now, what does it mean to have dominion? And what does it mean to subdue the earth? Well, the word subdue is translated from the Hebrew word kabash. 
It means to bring into bondage, to make subservient, or to use it to your advantage by making it work for you. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. When he told us to subdue the earth, what he was saying is he wanted us to use the earth for our advantage by making it work for us. Now see... I think it's a horrible thing, all that oil is spilling in, and I know it's going to do a lot of, of damage, but that should not stop us from drilling off the coast. We need to learn from that, take the, the uh, necessary steps, but we need to understand that we are supposed to use the earth for our advantage by making it work for us. Can I hear an amen on that? Wow, that's good. But God didn't stop there. He went further, and he told man to have dominion over every living thing. The word dominion is translated from the Hebrew word rada, and it means to rule or to reign. So what God is wanting is for us to rule over the earth, using it to our advantage by making it work for us. And that's what we've seen in society. We've seen us take these things in the earth, take these natural resources, and be able to use it for our advantage. Now, we're not told... How man was created until the second chapter. So we're not going to get into the that tonight. In fact, I have to be honest with you, there's a lot of things that I've left out as we've gone through the six days of creation. But the problem is, if I wanted to cover every little detail, we would spend three months on creation alone. And people, we can't do that. So what I've done is I've just hit the highlights. I've hit the major important things. Because we don't have unlimited time. But let me say this. If you've been here... For all of these teachings on Genesis, you know more than 90% of the pastors in America today on creation. In fact, you would be surprised how many pastors have never even studied any of this. And what makes this so important is because this determines our perspective on life. What is your perspective on life? Man in the environment. We're going to find out that man has a responsibility for the environment to take care of it, to make sure that we protect it. That's part of our job of subduing the earth and having dominion. But we also must understand that we were not created for the earth. The earth was created for us. And when we go in and we look at the, at the story of man, God creating Adam and Eve, we're going to find out what marriage is all about. We're going to find out what God's purpose was in creating male and female. We're going to find out why. There is no marriage, and let me say this, for those who are going to be transformed in heaven. And the reason I say that, if you were here in the book of Revelations, you know there are going to be those who make it through the tribulation. They're going to live in the millennium. And there's going to be those who make it through the millennium. What happens to them? But for us, those who will be raptured are those of us who die and we are born again. When we live forever in heaven, we will not be married. Why? If you understand the book of Genesis, you know why. Hopefully I got your curiosity up. 